grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. But they understood none of these things. They did not grasp what was said. So says Luke 18.34 regarding Jesus' disciples when he told them what lay ahead of them. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. This is our sermon text today. We have the advantage of history. We know what Jesus meant because of the historical record that presented and preserves for us his crucifixion. Scripture, right? These records have been handed down to us and we can see from a different vantage point just what he was talking about, what he was saying. Why couldn't the 12 understand what he was saying? After all, they had the Old Testament records. They had scripture of that day up to that point and it had been handed down to them. It had been preserved and presented to them. They knew what the prophets said about the Son of Man. Why couldn't they grasp this saying? Jesus' words said he would be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged. Savior? Flogged? Killed? How about understanding raised on the third day? What's that about? All of this seemed contrary to the 12 disciples of how things should go. What do you mean, Lord? Aren't we going to blaze in there triumphantly and take back Jerusalem from the Roman occupiers? Isn't that the way it should go? Shouldn't Jesus, the Savior, conquer the Gentiles? What's this business about being handed over to them? Shouldn't the following the Messiah mean that I have an easy life? Full of peace and harmony, unity, with butterflies and rainbows and sunshine all the time. Ah, smelling those flowers without a little bit of allergy making me sneeze. Shouldn't my life be perfect? I mean, isn't following Jesus about winning? About victory? Triumph? Well, yes, it is. But not the way that we think it should go down. How would being killed accomplish anything? What's the point in being mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon? St. Paul's inspired words in the epistle reading, 1 Corinthians 13, gives us the answer. In one single word, love. But in the expanded summary, 
Verse 7, love endures all things. Jesus' crucifixion is the very picture of love. Enduring all things. What kind of God would we have if he loved us in conquering and in victory, in winning, but we knew nothing of his love in mockery, being spit upon, being flogged, being killed. If we knew nothing of a Lord who said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do while they were nailing him to the cross. In that picture, on the cross, Jesus is the poster child of love. He is the billboard with the definition of what love is on it. So now faith, hope, and love abide, St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three, but the greatest is love. Why is love the greatest? Well, for one thing, because love is what enables faith and hope. Without love, we would have nothing in which to have faith and hope. Love is the source of it. It is what our faith and hope is in the love of God, as seen on the cross. That Jesus knew he would be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, and then killed, and yet he was still willing to go into Jerusalem and be handed over to the Gentiles, tells us that he was willing to endure all things for us. It tells us he truly loves you. Not just in ideology, you know, in word and speech, but in truth and in deed, he loves you. He put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. By the gift of the Holy Spirit, then, we can begin to understand this today. We know that Jesus' suffering is good news for all who trust in him. Jesus loves you. He was handed over to the Roman authorities to endure evil out of love for you. Amen. Should I be done now? I'll keep going. And even though we grasp this good news, we still are very much like the 12, aren't we? We still do not always understand what Jesus is saying. And like the disciples, it's those prophecies that play out right in front of our very eyes that we have the hardest time understanding. So what do we read in 2 Timothy 3? Understand this, Paul says, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good and God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then this sentence, avoid such people. Do we understand this? 
When the Grammys broadcast a performance called unholy, that, that word is right here, in the last days people will be unholy, and we have a pop star dressed as Satan dancing in cages with transgender people all around him and fire blaring everywhere, on the Grammys, do we understand what we're reading? Paul goes on to interject his credentials as a Christian, and this is really profound stuff. You have followed my teaching, he says, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So we, we follow Jesus, what he went through in the scriptures. We follow the, the story of it. We know it. We get it. He suffered. He died. He was mocked. He was shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed, and rose on the third day. Hallelujah. We follow Paul. And we see what he went through. Last week, we heard in the epistle reading, the list of hardships, his persecutions, his sufferings, the shipwrecks and all this stuff that he went through, the, the being stoned and the whips and all this stuff that he, he suffered. We follow that and we get it. We actually get it. We grasp it. We understand it. Yes, the Savior had to die. Yes, the ancient martyrs gave up their lives for the Lord. We get it when it comes to them. But we become like the twelve. And we fail to grasp the next thing St. Paul says. 2 Peter 3, 12, if you're following along. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, wait for it, will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do we grasp that? Seems pretty straightforward, but in the moment... We always fail to understand it. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We hear the words, but we don't grasp it. And this is why we're tempted to sit down and shut up when they all tell us to. I was noticing this, just you might have seen me taking a little note here, right after the gospel reading and while we were singing our hymn, I noticed this that I missed in my study for today's sermon, that in the gospel, Luke 18, starting in verse 39, and those who were in front rebuked the blind man, telling him, be silent. And then what does he do? What every good Christian is supposed to do. But he cried out all the more. <laughs> I love it. Just like Acts 5, just like Acts 4. We charged you not to speak in the name of Jesus. Okay, I heard you. We're going to keep speaking in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I love this. Being a Christian is so much fun. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> Don't you love it? They tell you, sit down, shut up, be nice, play well. Don't ruffle feathers. And we just cry out all the more. Although we don't, do we? We don't. We, we want to, we say that, but we, we have a hard time with it in reality. And this is why when your friends and family members say, you know, Pastor Bramwell gives Christians a bad name. Are you sure you want to listen to that guy? 
when they say you really shouldn't associate with him. I mean, haven't you read the papers for the last 18 months? Read any of them. (laughs) Or when they question, how can you even attend a church like that? You want to be associated with St. Mark? They're so mean and hateful. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're tempted to listen. You know how I know you're tempted to listen? Because I'm tempted to listen. I'm tempted to sit down and shut up. But we can't do that. We cry out all the more. Because not only have we been healed from our blindness and our deafness, we've been healed from the grave. We have the greater miracle. We have the resurrection in the body, in the flesh. This broken body of mine one day will not ache, will not die. It will live forever when I'm resurrected. How can I shut up? I want everyone to know that. And it's it's hard though, isn't it? It's hard when there's a, a lot of loud voices, louder than I just was. And they're all shouting at the same time. And they're all saying the same thing. They're, they're a choir saying, we're hateful, we're mean, we're unloving. The entire world is a choir saying that. And anybody, if they're honest with themselves, would have to say, I'm tempted to believe them. They say it so often and with so much force. They're even passing resolutions against it. And so we want to stop using our sign or our our website or our own voices with our family and friends. The temptation's real, I get it. The deceivers and the imposters that we heard about in Paul's words make it hard for us to understand the promise of Scripture in the moment. The promise that if you're a disciple, if you follow Jesus, if you have an awesome trading card with your image on it. <laughs> Logan, nice, nice card today. I'm glad you got one. You will be persecuted. Which is why we do stuff like the unashamed card, right? We celebrate this stuff here where it's good and where this is the family. Because out there, they're not celebrating Logan's service to his neighbors. They're not celebrating any of, of what we're doing as a family of faith. Out there, it's war. And so we take time to celebrate stuff like that here, to build a brother up and to let him build us up. Because when we follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. Reverend C.F.W. Walther, the first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, you've heard me quote him before, I'm sure, is helpful here in this. Listen to what he says. This is brilliant. It's just simple, but it's brilliant. The church cannot be built up in peace. For it is located within the domain of the devil. We're under the territory ruled by the prince of this world. We're behind enemy lines. If we think there's going to be peace, it's like the sign today. Our head's in the sand. If we think there's going to be peace when we're in occupied territory. He says, accordingly, the church has no choice but to be at war. It is Ecclesia Militans. That's the church militant. And it will remain such until the blessed end, until our our king comes back. 
Wherever a church is seen to be not ecclesia militans, but ecclesia quiescens, a church at ease, that you may rely on it is a false church. If you see a church at ease, you're finding a false church because the church lives in occupied territory. We are not of this world, even though we are in it. We are well beyond no man's land. We are in the devil's domain. Look at John 15, 18 with me, if you would. Ask yourself this question. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? John 15, 18. You're going to be like, well, yeah, of course. But do you? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, Jesus says. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, Christian, but I chose you out of the world. I pulled you out of that world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, Jesus says. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's a promise. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So when you speak truth, if they are a believer of Christ, they will hear that truth. They will know that truth. They will keep that truth. But all these things... They will do to you on account of my name. They don't listen to you as a Christian because of you. They listen to Christina as a Christian because she is Christ's Tina. Christina? Yeah, she's a follower of Christ. Christ's name she bears, very literally and spiritually. Praise be to God. Her parents gave her that name. Because, he says, those who don't follow, because they do not know him who sent me. So if they don't listen to you, it's because they don't know him. It's not because they don't know you. Carl knows lots of people in town. They're not all here with us, which is a marvel to me every time I see you out there. Like, huh? Do they know where he goes to church? They know he, they're supposed to hate him, right? <laughs> see, when we think that we can be a Christian without being persecuted, we're fooling ourselves and we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're acting like the 12 disciples when Jesus said they were going to Jerusalem where he could be mocked, would be mocked, treated shamefully, spit upon, flogged, and killed before being resurrected. And American Christians today don't seem to grasp that. We're just like the 12. We don't seem to grasp that we are sheep among wolves. We don't seem to grasp what Reverend Walther said, that the church exists in the devil's domain. We want to avoid the very thing our Lord has promised us, the very opportunity to show his love to our neighbors in real time and with real flesh, ours. We are part of the body of Christ. David makes a mean breakfast burrito. He's also the hands of Christ. In fact, I would say that breakfast burrito was the work of the Lord. <laughs> that was amazing stuff. And so when David suffers persecution in the flesh, it is the body of Christ that is suffering. Just as they physically flogged our Lord, when they attack you, they are spiritually attacking him when they attack you. 
And when you feed me a wonderful breakfast burrito, it is him who's feeding me. It is consistent. As Jesus told the disciples, suffering persecution is our opportunity to bear witness to Jesus Christ. When we endure all the hateful things our neighbors do to us because we speak of Jesus, not because we're sinners and we make up mistakes, insert my favorite word of the month, nincompoop, we show them that we're real love. We don't, we don't suffer for that. We, we do, but not in the, for the name of Jesus. When we're, when we're suffering for Jesus' sake, we're showing them our willingness to love them, to endure all things. Just as Jesus was willing to go to Jerusalem knowing how he was going to be mistreated, to endure all things, to show us he is truly our Lord and he truly loves us. It's not a bad thing to endure persecution. In fact, it is a glorious, marvelous thing. Take the time to, to be the witness and enjoy the honor that the disciples enjoyed in Acts 4 and 5. When they returned after being beat by the authorities, tells us that they, they all prayed and they relished in the honor of suffering for the name of the Lord. And they went right back to doing what they were doing. It's not a bad thing. He suffered. May we too suffer for him. And so we've come to the end of my sermon. To which you all say, thanks be to God. I was too quick on the amen. <laughs> if you find yourself seeking an escape from the persecution that's come upon us here at St. Mark or upon you personally for whatever you're going through that we may not be aware of in the name of Jesus, think on the cross. Escape into the cross, not away from the cross. Cling tighter to the suffering of Jesus. Don't let go. Go into it. What Isaiah recorded about our Savior's coming in our Old Testament reading fits this for a conclusion. These are words that he says, strengthen weak hands that make firm, feeble knees. What was God's messenger given to say to his people? Very simple, four words. Be strong, fear not. And he continues, as all good preachers do, you think they're done and they keep going. Behold, <laughs> your God will come with vengeance. What? And with recompense, the recompense of God. Your God, who you suffer for, will come and take care of all those people who are persecuting you. You don't have to worry about it. He's going to take care of it. Our God isn't losing. That's why that's in here. It's not that we're vindictive. We're like, oh, they're going to get their comeuppance. No, we don't want anyone to suffer that. It's so that you know in the battle, we're not losing. The Lord is being patient so that more people would come to him, so less people would experience his vengeance and recompense. But let it be known, he will come with his vengeance and recompense. And he will come, it says, verse 4, 30, Isaiah 35, 4, he will come and save you. Indeed, he has already came and saved you. Jesus came and saved you by going to the cross by entering into Jerusalem where he was mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, and killed, and then 
raised on the third day. Hallelujah. Yeah, that, that chance for that's going away, right? You heard, you heard the children's sermon. Hallelujah and amen. Maybe this is the best conclusion. I said I was going to conclude with Isaiah. Let me go to 1 Corinthians. This is a better conclusion. That's a really good penultimate conclusion. This is the ultimate conclusion. Love bears all things. Amen. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Amen. Amen. amen.